Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Genesis Temples podcast. I am Damiano and I'm here with Daniele Giardini. Hello. He is the writer of Steel There and he's a great graphic designer. Hello Daniele, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Very good, thanks. So, it is traditional on the podcast to let the guest explain how did they get into gaming development and how did their passion for gaming begin. So, Daniele, want to tell us your story? Okay, I, I always liked games and I, I started... Uh, actually, I, let me go back in time. I started with uh, uh, comics, uh, writing and drawing uh, when I was a kid. And, uh, and then I slowly, when I started working, I worked as a graphic artist. Then I got uh, into coding. I got a passion for coding. All the time I was playing like a motherfucker. I didn't ask you if I could swear. I can mm-hmm. swear, right? Yes, you can swear. Yeah, motherfucker. Uh, and then obviously the the logical move passage was to move from uh, to mix uh, comics, uh, coding, uh, etc., into video games. And at a certain point, I let's say I changed my life. I went to live in Serbia and mm-hmm. got into games, which was uh, yeah, ten years ago. I, the passion just clicked immediately and I started loving it and that's what I've done more or less in the last 10 years. I was lucky enough to, to be able to find both clients as a freelance and to make games by myself. I, uh, so in, I code, I, uh, I make also tools for video games and I write them and I draw them and I design them and I also have a great passion for UI which everybody hates, so I also do UI, so... Uh-huh. You're a real one-man band, let's say. <laughs> I, I usually work with people, but uh, yes, I, I have to admit that I'm a hermit, so I love to be able to do stuff just by myself, which I did in the past, and uh, either by myself or with Yelena, my, uh, my partner, which uh, she's a comic artist, and so we also have this way of working. We tried making a game together once, it didn't go, because then we got derailed by other things, but uh, it's another interesting road that we want to take. How is it uh, working as a, an indie developer in Italy, actually? I have no idea. I work from my house. I could be everywhere. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, like, actually, I, 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 as I said, I'm kind of a hermit, uh, and, and you know that. <laughs> and, uh, but, and I moved between um, Rome and the niche in Serbia, and in the last 10 years, I've always worked for, from home, so I'm not exactly involved uh, in the Italian indie scene, so I know some, a few uh, great people like uh, Ghost Chef Games, with mm-hmm. which we made uh, Still There, or uh, Michele Pirovano, who is instead in Milan. Anyway, uh, I, I know people, but mostly from Twitter, and it's, uh, it's cute, nobody helps you. Uh, I speak sometimes with my friends from... Mm-hmm friends or other countries and they have lots of support from their country. As far as I know, we have a lot less, but uh, I know it's nice. The weather is nice. We have the sea. We have a beautiful sky, great food. So that, that's working in Italy for me. <laughs> well, food uh, is uh, one of the most essential things for uh, uh, coding and writing. I think. It's one of the most essential <laughs> things for everything. 
uh, we actually met mm -hmm. uh, because I, I very much liked Still There. Thank you. And so I was actually curious to ask you, what were the, the inspirations when you wrote Still There? What, what inspired you? I, I don't take direct inspirations from things, but I osmotically I take tons of inspirations from stuff, obviously. So I would say that uh, surely for the basic core of the game, not just the writing, but also the idea of the game, Papers, Please, because of mm -hmm. uh, this small area where you can touch a lot of stuff. Then there's uh, some, uh, what is the English title? 2001 A Space Odyssey, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, for uh, the dreams that are still there. Lots of uh, comics. Uh, I would say the comics that formed me as a comic writer because it has a very comic-like approach to narrative. One big inspiration was uh, this sentence that we put at the end of the game, actually, which is uh, from uh, Illela, a sentence written more than 2,000 years ago, which is, if you are not for thyself, who will be for thee? But if you are for thyself alone, wherefore art thou? I have no idea what the fuck I just said, but it's a wonderful sentence. Uh, no, I, I know what I just said. And drama, lots of drama. Okay, there's some personal experiences also in still there, obviously, that are filtered with, uh, uh, with a different uh, dramatic narrative, but still they're there. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're one of those writers that uh, actually I think any writer can't avoid putting something personal in everything that they that they write. I mean, it's it's unavoidable to put yeah. uh, your personal experience, your personal drama into your narrative. It's not necessarily your personal mm -hmm. drama. I think like mm -hmm. I think that that's a, a mistake unless you're doing something autobiographical, which can be absolutely wonderful, but that's not necessarily the case when you write something else. But you put yourself in the way you, uh, you filter the drama in your life, which teaches you how to filter also other people's drama and how to create drama. So I think that every writer in the way that uh, they shape their uh, most personal aspects of their narrative, it's, uh, it's in the motion side. And, uh, for example, like, okay, I'm still there is basically a story, a sci-fi story with a mixed story of loss. There's this, uh, I'm not spoiling anything by saying that there's this father that lost his daughter. And uh, so he completely uh, uh, retracted from society and then uh, he abandoned his wife, with which he's still friend, but obviously he went so far away in space that... Uh, they, they are divorced now, they're still friends, etc. But there's uh, the basic understanding of loss in the game. There is something that is personal for me because I mean, with every adult, the more we, we grow, the more we lose people, and the more we get used to the feeling of loss. And uh, mm -hmm. I, like tons of other people, started knowing this very, very early. And uh, my reaction always to, to drama and to loss has always been. Uh, humor in a way which wasn't a way to minimize it or to forget about it but just to react to it and that's very heavily instilled there so it's personally in that way because it's a very dramatic story mixed also with sometimes silly humor sometimes just humor yeah because i also think that humor uh in a way helps you to cope 
with the negative things that happen in your life. Because uh, if you take everything too seriously, uh, then you really risk to be impacted uh, di directly from the things that happen. While humor, yeah. in a way, uh, you can use to a bit distance yourself from what happens and, in a way, look at it from another point of view. I don't know if you agree. Yes, it's uh, both the distancing and the other point of view, especially the other point of view, I think that is uh, the most important factor of humor because uh, it allows you to, to really uh, observe things which can be both dramatic things or, or simply personal things about yourself even, like, am I an asshole? Let me observe it from outside and it helps. And uh, also there's uh, this thing that I like to say that uh, someone else said, that the greatest dramatic actors are comedians. Mm -hmm. Because it's true that humor is the opposite face of the of drama and they together they form the same, uh, the same, the two sides of the same coin. Would you uh, actually ever write or make um, a humorous game, a comedic game? I don't think I made any straightforward humorous game. I mean, still there is a humorous game, in my opinion, among other things, but it's not just that. But I would like to do that because when doing comics, I have done that in the past and I just love to do that stuff. But what I usually tend to do in narrative in general is to mix drama and humor. That's what I do in almost every one of my stories because that's also how I live life. So that's another parallel from, from personal perspective to personal narrative. And of course, as you've mentioned several times, um, your main experience, your experience from where you came from is in uh, comic books and yes. reading, of course, writing and drawing. Let's talk a bit about uh, how the two uh, medium can influence each other. I mean, comic books and, uh, and gaming. What would you think the, the relationship can be? Thank you for this question. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I mean, they're immensely connected, in my opinion, because uh, obviously all medias are connected, even books, movies, and comics, uh, and now video games. But especially in some way, uh, indie games and comics are very, very strongly connected. Because when we talk about AAA, it has, uh, takes more inspiration from um, cinema, because it can afford yeah. to make uh, exactly like realistic cuts with 3D stuff, and so there's... Uh, that's really a director. Well, when we're talking about indie games, we can't afford to do that. So we're talking about something that is usually more either 2D or 3D, but mm -hmm. even in that case, the narrative is usually written and uh, the prominent part is the text, which might be dubbed, but not necessarily. Why in AAA, the prominent part is the voice, which might have subtitles. And mm -hmm. this fact already connects video games with uh, comics uh, in the way of balloons. I have an immense love of balloons. There are so many fantastic examples of uh, using balloons in comics if we completely forget about the existence of superheroes, obviously. But if you go to look into more indie comics, or even uh, Andrea Pazienza in Italy, or um, uh, Dave Sims Cerebus, who is a very problematic person, but who did some fantastic things with uh, lettering. And uh, that is one of the things that uh, we should learn, in my opinion, that a lot of uh, indie games are learning from comics. Like, let's take, for example, earlier 
video games where uh, there were narrative uh, narrative adventures or even RPGs when there is this text which is usually a wall of text uh, and you just mm-hmm. have to read it and it's like this weird mix of uh, am I reading a book, am I playing a video game I think that that was like some misstep in taking the a visual style from uh, literature and applying it to video games but I mean, literature doesn't really have a visual style in a way. And so comics can help to make, uh, to fill that gap better by using, uh, by cutting dialogues into shorter sentences, making them more readable, more fun, more really part of the visual essence of the game instead of simply being a contrivance that allows to just read stuff. Uh, I actually agree. and, And I was thinking, while you mentioned the wall of text, I was thinking of um, of a game that was released recently that got really positive reviews everywhere. And I tried it. And while I like the idea, I think that it's not for me. So I'm talking about this Elysium. And oh. uh, the way that you mentioned a wall of text could be made uh, more interesting by, you know, taking some influences, some inspiration from comic books, I think really could be applied in a game like this Elysium. Now, I'm making just an example, of course. It's not that I, I didn't like it. It's just that I found it to be too much. Yes, but I have to respectfully disagree with that. <laughs> because I played this Coliseum and I was actually at the beginning when I was seeing the screenshots, etc. I was a little worried because I don't like wall of text or uh, blocks of text in video games because, I don't know, that's a personal thing. When I'm in front of a computer, if you give me that, then I feel claustrophobic and I, I just don't enjoy it. It's purely a personal point of view. But with this Coliseum instead, I ended up not feeling claustrophobic. And I loved what they do. Again, absolutely personal opinion. But uh, yes, it was a column of text. But in a way, uh, first of all, contrary to normal RPGs, it was constantly there, basically. Like you always had that column of text there. So it, mm-hmm. uh, they kind of introduced it as a fixed UI element in a way. So you knew, mm-hmm. okay. This is my text. It's not that sometimes I'm like in full screen going through a beautiful meadow and then I meet a person and boom, the screen is cut in half and they throw me this block of text. It was different in that way. And they also played with font formats like there's italic, there's bold. If I remember correctly, I'm almost sure there's colors and there's a magnificent voiceover. And uh, I don't know, so just the fact, uh, in short, now I'm just trying to find the reasons why I like this Coliseum style. But I think that basically it goes all down to the fact that it wasn't a wall, it was a column, which seems silly, but it wasn't. It gave a lot of air to it. (laughs) But still, I prefer balloons. Yes, give me balloons. But maybe it's just me, but the fact that it's a column and not on the bottom, it means that also... uh, you can read it without moving your eyes too much. You have to just move them mm-hmm. down. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't have to wipe them as if you're following a tennis match from left to right to read all that's written in there. And uh, that is what makes it less claustrophobic. Also, this Coliseum, yes, has that always present, but the sentences are usually not long. They're cut in short pieces 
not that short, but still not that long like old school RPGs. And that mm-hmm. also helps a lot. Like, yes, maybe it's simply that instead of showing me uh, two sentences, you show me one and then I have to click to see the second, but that helps. That makes it a little lighter. And there's more interaction also. Uh, it's it's true, truly choices matter in that game. So it, uh, mm-hmm. it also educates you. There's also this debate in video games, especially lately, about how you should play a game. Because there's uh, a lot of players that tend to approach games uh, in the way that they think is right. And they don't let the video game uh, tell them how it wants to be played. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, I understand. I'm not saying that it's bad. But uh, this collision tells you very clearly how it wants to be read, how it wants to be played. And... Uh, I don't know. Uh, also, I I might be a little fan, so that's that fact to it. <laughs> Thinking about uh, now going back to the gaming historian uh, figure that you know I, I am the masochist gaming historian. Um, <laughs> really good example of um, comic books um, applied to an action game. Of, uh, I don't know if you played it. Uh, Comics Zone it was on the Sega Mega Drive back in 1990. Or, oh no, shame on me. The first console that I ever owned was a PlayStation 3. <laughs> yes, now, now you're going to kick me out of the podcast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. No, so, so you were a PC gamer? Yes. Okay. I, basically, I was like, I, 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 you know, in my family, there was uh, this thing like old school that you have to work, etc. So I... I I used what I had to game, and when I started using a PC, I used a PC for gaming. I completely understand, because my only gaming console until the PlayStation was the Sega Master System. So I actually only played Comic Zone, uh, you know, way, way late. Uh, On the PC with an emulator, so... (laughs) Oh, okay. I remember a game that was taken from Blueberry, but that doesn't count because it's a comic. Mm-hmm. It's a game based on a comic, so obviously it was comic-ish. A comic Zone was interesting in that uh, you're a comic book artist uh, and, and you get trapped into your own comic. You know, it's an old idea. It's nothing special. But, mm. but they took the idea of you moving into the comic book and uh, it's actually quite clever. I mean, the, the, the character moves between uh, panels, so you have to, you know, break... Oh. the panels to get yeah. to another room and of course uh, you have dialogues between the main character the enemies via balloons of course so you get there's a lot of mm. balloons so if you like balloons uh, you, you have to check it out yes uh, actually something that i was thinking mm. about uh, when you mentioned voice actors uh, probably you while you were developing still there um, you thought about having uh, voice actors or dubbing and uh, I don't know, probably. No, absolutely not. <laughs> ah, so, so it was, a, it was a design decision. No, we just had, so from the beginning, we just knew that we would never have money to have voice actors. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, then later we made, uh, we had a voice actor for the trailer, but mm-hmm. that already was a little dramatic because uh, the voice actor, she was very good, but uh, uh, when you think a whole game, without voice actors, then you create the voices in your mind without ever thinking of transposing them in real life. And uh, so finding the right mm-hmm. voice, which uh, in the trailer, it's uh, the wife of the main protagonist, uh, 
was a little complicated and I have to admit that I don't think, uh, uh, at least from with the Indies and also AAA, that I know the writer also manages the voice direction, obviously, because they know how a character should act. And uh, I, I don't know, like I would like one day to do voice direction. Uh, also because in my past, I, I made, uh, like I wrote and acted in theater. So in, in a stupidly blind way, I think that I could do that on another. If we, but if I abstract from myself, I think that probably I would suck, but I would like to try it. <laughs> you said something interesting, that uh, the, the writer in uh, indie gaming and in AAA usually follows also the, uh, the voice recording. I mean, he, he does the voice. I, I'm not sure about AAA. Obviously, they, they are involved, but I'm not sure yeah. if they actually the voice directors, uh, the direct uh-huh. voice. Okay, please. No, I was thinking that it wasn't always like this. And uh, that was actually something that surprised me. Uh, because I, I spoke, as you know, I spoke with a lot of uh, Italian developers from the 80s and 90s, uh, and even more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, very few actually oh. uh, followed the voice direction, even in Italian. I mean, you, in English, okay, uh, it was done by another publisher, you know, okay. And the yes. You know, you make a game in Italian, I mean, you write you know, in your first language, in, in, in Italian, and you don't actually um, uh, do anything regarding the voice direction. You don't even, you know, choose the actors or, you know, you know ask for, you know, voice samples. It's strange. It's actually something that's... It's not strange. I remember you telling me that uh, when we came and didn't get drunk in spite of all the ramen coke, but uh, those are mistakes. Like, uh, yes, there are different ways of working, but the writer has to be involved. If they don't, it's mm-hmm. just a mistake. Because nobody else knows. I mean, the writers are the persons that know yeah. best how those voices should be acted. Also, simply because, I mean, maybe choosing the voice actors, not necessarily. If there is a, a director that knows mm-hmm. what they're doing. But uh, uh, the cadence, uh, what they have to say, like... Uh, uh, usually when someone, when a writer writes a sentence uh, or a scene, uh, yes, the scene says something, but uh, in the writer's mind, that scene also, uh, the characters are thinking of something else. Uh, there are layers that are not written, but are part of the narrative, even if they don't appear. But when you act, you have to know all the layers so that you can give flow, cadence, uh, impressions to the voice. And uh, I mean... Who else than the writer knows to do that? In fact, when writers are involved in that, I know that actors ask them a lot of questions, and the writers usually know what they're going to ask, so they usually prepare already some kind of uh, uh, layering Bible to say, okay, yes, this character is saying that uh, they love this person, but actually they're thinking that maybe they love also this other person, but in their mind there's the fear that uh, the third person looks like their mother. Also, their ass hurts, and they have to show that a little. I mean, there's so many things that mm-hmm. you have to convey. Yes, exactly, because otherwise you're just basically reading a text in front of a screen. Yes, not necessarily because the actor brings themselves into the acting, which is a thing that should be left. I mean, you shouldn't control the actor completely because... If you're working with someone, everybody, at least in my opinion, everybody has a right and has a duty and also 
will just make everything better if they bring themselves and they add themselves to the game, movie, etc. So, I mean, no actor would just read uh, unless they're really bad actors. <laughs> because, you know, if you're a voice actor um, and you do... Uh... You, you dub movies. You you do. I mean, I, I, this is something that's really Italian, actually. You know, maybe European a bit, but you know, it's really Italian, as we know. So we have a lot of voice actors for movies mm. in Italy, and I was speaking with some of them. Uh, they told me that not all actors are actually capable of doing voice acting for a video game because it's a different experience. Because in movies, mm. you're doing the lip syncing. Yeah. You, right. You're looking at the actor. You're watching their faces and you know more or less what tone you're bringing what uh, infection what layers mm. as you said you're bringing to the scene uh. in voice in voice acting for video games it's really different because you don't usually you don't even have a video that you're looking at so at, at most they have images some images of the characters they're dubbing and so basically you're left with a blank screen so the only thing you have to go on is the things that the voice director is telling you yeah. even a very good actor even yes. an experienced voice actor can actually sound pretty bad <laughs> doing dubbing for video games and it actually happened because there's the, the lucas arts in indiana jones and the infernal machine game that was you know the tom Ryder clone starring indiana mm. jones and uh, in Italy, they got Lucas Starts actually themselves wanted the, um, the voice actor for Indiana Jones, the, the cinematic voice actor that mm -hmm. was also quite expensive to get. And yeah. it sounds pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> Despite him being, you know, a very experienced voice actor, he sounds like a voice actor reading, you know, reading in front of a, reading a sheet of paper in front of a microphone. So yeah. it, it's a different experience. But I think that is a different experience uh, for many reasons. And one of them is that, uh, especially at the time, like video games, they're a relatively new media, very new media. And uh, they're living what comics lived uh, years, uh, decades ago. Like, you know, <laughs> at the beginning, comics were considered just for kids. And then we needed to reach the 80s, even if cool stuff were done in the 70s and in the 60s too, to, to show that they could be a mature media and that they weren't necessarily just for kids, like every media. And, uh, but it, it took a lot of time. And at the beginning of video games, I mean, everybody thought that they were just for kids, even if mm -hmm. the advertising showed adults playing Pong. And uh, I think that that's also what might have influenced the uh, a, let's say, serious voice actor with Indiana Jones, because you call someone and say, oh, you have to dub a video game. And they say, oh, a video game. Like, okay, I will just do it quickly because who cares about video games? And uh, so maybe that, I, I, this is not to speak badly of the actor, but just to speak of the culture surrounding the media. And uh, which also we still have this problem now. And so it was much bigger before. So maybe this was the part in other games. I would say that if the voice acting is bad, usually I would say it's not the fault of the actor, but it's the fault of the voice director. And this for two reasons. First of all, because in my opinion, the boss is always the guilty one. <laughs> <laughs> and second, because again, like if you have a good actor, you have to... Uh, 
really be able to work with them. That's why the figure of the voice director is so important, uh, that they really have to put the actors in their, uh, in the mood, let them understand exactly what they're doing, what they're saying, uh, which is basically what you were saying before, that they didn't have this uh, approach, because otherwise it's a blank screen, mm -hmm. as you said. Yeah, and, and this brings me actually to another point that I wanted to, to discuss with you. And what would you think is the, the main difference between writing for comics and writing a video game? Absolutely choices. So <laughs> at least uh, when I write video games, I write stories with uh -huh. choices. So that's the thing. And uh, a, a comic narrative, even if it's uh, the craziest narrative, even if it's something told by Andrea Pazienza when he's under heavy drugs, uh, it's something that is linear, even if it doesn't look like it. But video games instead, they're just full of fractures. Mm -hmm. I like this term so much. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it's complicated to be able to, uh, to tell a story without knowing it's written. Because again, like uh, choices how you uh, derail a narrative and to sometimes make it longer or talk about other things, and then you have to regroup it and bring it where you want it, and maybe and you have to also consider what they chose before. Mm -hmm. So it's not really the you had in mind at the beginning, but it has changed, and uh, uh, so this completely lack of rhythm is something difficult to get used to. But it's not really a lack of rhythm, because I just think that it's jazz instead of mm -hmm. being pop or, uh, or something else. You have to get used to this kind of chaos and to be able to control it. That's why also one thing that I, at least I do, and I suggest to do when you write, it's, it's kind of the same way uh, that I write comics. Like start writing and let the story go with uh, the characters doing what they want, etc. so that the, the characters are actually driving and let's make them look more natural. And I try to do that uh, with video games too. But instead of just having the characters drive you, you kind of have to learn to have the players drive you too. So there's more people involved. It's, uh, it's kind of an orgy, but less sexy and uh, that is uh, the main difference absolutely the other difference uh, is probably again talking about indie games you can't direct the the visual narrative as you would with a comic because panels are uh, not necessarily inspired by cinematography because again there are great comic artists that did things that are absolutely not doable in movies mm -hmm. but uh, they are, every panel is, uh, uh, has its own identity. Again, I'm not talking about superheroes, but about other comics. But uh, instead, in, in games, when you have a dialogue, usually in indie games, you cannot change the scene too much. You have to rely really strongly on the text more than on the visual. So, which brings you back to a parallel also. That's this interesting thing about video games, that it's a... a a really big mix of uh, comics and mm -hmm. literature because uh, you have to be able to create this kind of jazz rhythm with with just the words and okay yes the representation of the words too which is comic wise but uh it's it, it's a fucking mess but it's beautiful yeah writing is a beautiful mess no that is absolutely yes. correct um right. so what would you say that uh, writing a video game you, the player is like 
another character in the story or is the central one? That is a very interesting question. I would say that the player is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, the devil in a good way, like uh, nothing against the devil. It's, it's, you know, what? maybe it's not really a character as much as uh, lore, because uh, you have to consider the... Uh, the history, the story of uh, all the possible players that are going to play your game. Obviously, not too much because you're, you're doing also something personal usually, but uh, you, you have to know that uh, all kinds of players might be playing it. And uh, maybe you, you just want to say, fuck you to some kind of players or I love you to another. Or maybe you just want to say I love you to every kind of player. That is something that you consider, but... I don't know, is it really lore or am I just saying it because it sounds cool? No, no, okay, it's a, it's a ghost. I like the idea of ghost better. I, I like this even more. It's not a ghost, it's not lore. The player is you, basically. Mm. Because, uh, uh, you know, when we write, we, we find emotions in what we write. In what we write. And... Uh, uh, we also try to look at least most writers. We try also to look from the outside to what we're writing. And this is not just because we're writing for players. Even when you're writing comics or when you're writing for books, you have this kind of abstraction to watch it, what you, to see what you wrote and to see, okay, I find this, I don't know, emotional, uh, profound, deep, mm -hmm. funny, but is it really? And uh, when you abstract like that... Uh, uh, you, in a way, become someone else. And uh, if you're able to do that, in, in, you're becoming basically the reader or the player. And uh, the more you, you realize the different emotions that what you write might provoke, like to someone it might create, yes, someone might laugh at that, someone else might be hurt, the more you, you, you manage to realize what the player will feel. And... Uh, so basically, you need a lot of fucking empathy. You uh, use that empathy not just to interpret the characters, but also to interpret the player. Actually, since you just, you mentioned feedback, uh, do do you actually test the the games you you play yourself, or you prefer other people to do it? Um, I usually try to write the full game myself and then have other people explain it. You're, you're talking from a narrative point of view. Also, yes. Like, at least from a narrative point of view, I, I love other people to play it, and I mm -hmm. especially love if they tell me that they don't like something. Hmm. Because you, I mean, you always need this kind of feedback, whatever you're doing. When I finish Still There, for example, I, I also made the dialogue tools for, for Still There, so I was able to make a a system that allowed, that basically transformed it into an interactive fiction. So it was just text, no puzzles, so that it could be, let's say, played in an hour. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I sent that to various friends to get their feedback, and that helped me a lot because I, I basically had fears. Like I knew what parts might be weak or not, and I wasn't sure also, obviously, some other parts you don't know that they're weak and that someone that tells you and uh, is super helpful regardless of that i still 
made enormous mistakes <laughs> in still there, but but that helped a lot. And it's the same, obviously, for everything else, like gameplay, prototyping, etc. You need friends that that have clear in their mind that they can destroy what you did, because that's what you need. Just the friends that just tell you, oh, yes, it's cool, you're so good, they're not really helping. <laughs> Mm-hmm. My version of that, I'm, I'm, my journalistic version of that would be, you know, people that make comments like, ah, oh, yes, good article. Yes, yes. Oh, you're very good. Yes, yes. I mean, sure. I mean, thanks. But <laughs> I mean, of course, negative feedback, that's just negative. Like it sucks. That doesn't help you. Yes. Of course, uh, no, that wouldn't help you either. But, you know, if it's a constructive critic, I mean, it's something that makes sense, you know, that I would change mm. this, I would do this differently. Um, that helps. I mean, that helps you to look at a different point of view. So I agree with you that constructive feedback, constructive criticism, especially the negative kind of constructive criticism, mm. is the yeah. best help that you can actually get from uh, someone. Yes, especially before you publish the article or you publish the game yeah. so that you are in you have the time to make it better. Also, okay, yes, like the people that say, oh, great article or great game, let's not shit on them because it's very nice that they write that. <laughs> but, but yes, it doesn't help before, it doesn't help you grow. Yeah, I mean, it just, you know, yeah, it's yeah. always nice to receive a compliment, but, uh, you know, speaking as a writer, yeah. when you write, I mean, you create all these different characters, you create you know, a story you create, but yes. basically you're just talking to yourself. So mm-hmm. you're just screaming into a vacuum. <laughs> so as soon as you're able to distance yourself from that vacuum, as soon as you get other people to look at the yes. vacuum and say, you know, this is the abyss <laughs> that I created. Do you like it? That, you know, that helps. That's different. I mean, it, it's actually pretty, pretty u- useful. I would actually say it's necessary yeah no i i have to say that for what i write both in video games but also like i have this uh, secret write club with friends uh, where i write short narratives uh, and then i make comics so i I usually lately not that much because pandemic got to me but usually i write a lot and uh, there's yelena that uh, she uh, i don't know i'm super grateful for that but she reads everything I write and she's very honest with me and I love that like without that I know that I already have one person that is going to give me some feedback and that already helps a lot and then when I will finish the thing I will be able to get even more feedback from other persons and that's great but that said like yes constructive criticism is awesome simple uh, comments uh, like, uh, oh, I like that, or oh, I love it, or that is great. They're very nice to have. But yes, we tend to skip over them very quickly. But there's also, let's remember that, the detailed, absolutely positive feedback, which is absolutely lovely also. Like, they, they took their time to tell you why they loved your article or your video game or your whatever. And uh, that is great too, let's be honest. <laughs> Especially in your case, it usually means that someone has actually bought the game, so it's already you know an act of love. Uh, that, that that's stretching it a little too much. That just buying a game is an act of love, but I like it. 
You also mentioned before um, accessibility. I'm sure you agree that 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 you know a game should be made uh, as accessible as possible to everyone. I mean, that's a, something that we can agree on. If you're saying I want players that have troubles moving their hands to play the game, that is accessibility. That is absolutely important. Mm -hmm. that yeah, of course. Also, how you see stuff, etc. But having players saying. No, I want this game to run faster or I want it to be a roguelike instead of being able to save. That's not accessibility anymore. That's imposing something different. Ah, yes, yes. That's another thing altogether. It is difficult to make yeah. a story accessible to, to everyone because I think it's natural that one writes about things that are familiar. I mean, uh, for example, uh, I've written some stories, but... I would never know to write a story mm. about, I don't know, uh, growing up in Brazil. Yeah, that would be fake, you know, dishonest. I would have to make that up. Yes. So do you think it's important to make a story yes. accessible to as many people as possible? I, I want everybody that is in that kind of narrative to be able to play the game. And so I'm worried about, for example, in Still There, uh, we made the, the font size of the balloons is uh, you can uh, set it so you can make them bigger and enormous even so that if someone has sight problems, they can still make the font big and bigger and read it. And uh, also it's playable with a single hand eventually. <clears throat> we didn't add uh, fast mouse clicks so uh, that it's open to all mm -hmm. kinds of players that uh, at least uh, not all, but as many kind of players with possible physical hindrances than uh, uh, than anything. Mm -hmm. But uh, that said, I, I don't. I'm not writing something that uh, that every player might love. I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it. I'm writing something that I love, and that uh, I, I'm I'm writing it in a way, in the way that it's represented. It must be accessible, but not in what it tells. But uh, I also, uh, I, I became like when I was uh, younger and they introduced the content mm -hmm. warnings in Italian TV. I was, I don't know, I was a teen at the time and I was like, oh, what is that? Like mm. movies should be viewable by everyone. We don't need content warnings. But actually now I changed my mind about it. And I'm, uh, I like content warnings. Like uh, uh, I wrote a story that uh, talks about loss um, if someone writes a story that talks about suicide, it's nice to have a content warning, beware suicide, mm. that, so that if it triggers someone, they will not read it. And the writer doesn't have to make everything uh, accessible to all kinds of sensibility, because first of all, that's impossible. Second of all, it's important to tell what you want to tell and what you feel that you're telling. If you're trying to be like Disney, you can't really do that. So you should write what you want to write. Also, that's the strength of us in this. Like AAA, they worry so much more about this because they want everybody in the world to play their games. We can really write or make games for a niche because when we're talking about the niche in video games, it's still a giant fucking niche. We, but there's also obviously the problem of marketing that we need that niche to notice that mm -hmm. we exist. But... Uh, that's independent from the content of the game. And so, I mean, let's be personal. And being personal means that not everybody will like you. Obviously, being personal doesn't mean being an asshole. That's another thing. <laughs> so 
talking about actually since you mentioned marketing um, mm-hmm. do you think actually the natural the best target audience for uh, an adventure game like uh, still there uh, would have been you know the, the nostalgic adventure lover you know the usual you know, uh, lucas r sierra you know nostalgics or do you think that could have been marketed to also towards you know people that don't usually play adventure games uh, i think that uh, uh, people that don't usually play adventure games uh, could have been a market and and I think that we marketed to them I understand really very little about marketing so I don't really know what I'm talking about but let me talk about it anyway because what the fuck (laughs) we were actually very worried at the beginning about Silver because it's kind of a weird game because uh, yes it's inspired from adventure games that's Davide Davide Barbieri who actually is the lead developer and he uh, made the puzzle game designs. He made all the puzzles by the, himself, and he made them because he's mm-hmm. a super fan of LucasArts Adventures. But uh, the puzzles in still there are yep. immensely different from the LucasArts ones. So old adventure gamers might find themselves uh, uh, like puzzled. Uh, it's not even a pun, but it's like, okay, what is happening? And uh, so we were worried, oh my God, now... Uh, people will hate it for the puzzles. All they will instead will love it for the puzzles and they will hate the narrative or vice versa. They will love the narrative. I mean, again, it's also a mix of old adventure games. They were mostly fun. Still there, it's kind of, it mm-hmm. can get very serious at times. And uh, uh, so that's another factor. So we thought, okay, they will either hate the narrative or hate the puzzles. And in the end, they will just hate the game. Instead, it went the opposite way, which was very surprising, and we were very happy that, I mean, some people loved every side of it. But then uh, other players, usually someone loved at least one of the sides, and very strongly we noticed that like they really loved the puzzles or they really loved the narrative. And so even if they sometimes Mm -hmm. didn't like the other side, the, the part that they loved kept that up. And so they were like... Oh, I didn't like this side, but this other was so good that I love this game. That was uh, really nice to see. I have no idea how to answer your question, but probably yes. <laughs> because I, I was thinking, in a way, when you put uh, something out there that is a comic book, a video game, uh, an article, you know, something that you wrote, mm-hmm. until you release it, you basically it's your child. You no, know? it's something that. You nurtured it, yes. you grew it, you created it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, but when you release it, basically, it's a bit like no longer yours. So it's, uh, it becomes also someone else's. And, of course, it applies more in the case of uh, when you create a story than in my case <laughs> of an article. Because uh, when you create a story, naturally, uh, people can get emotionally yes. to the characters and you know they actually go on creating their own fan fictions i mean I, i'm pretty sure you know about all that and so in a way uh, it's you know it's a bit strange you now thinking about how something that was you know just yours now it's everyone <laughs> has a chance to you know touch it to even modify it maybe you know because sometimes that also happens 
Yeah, as a creator, I'm sure it's something that you see, you know, every day. Yeah, but I also think it's beautiful. I mean, we write mm-hmm. and uh, create stuff uh, thinking of exactly of that. Like, uh, that's, uh, there was what this interview that was running on Twitter a while ago about Lynch that uh, uh, he was asked to explain, I don't remember which one of his movies, and he said, well, fuck, no, I'm not explaining my movies. I don't think that Lynch would ever be able to explain them because... Uh, uh, it's part of the beauty of creation that uh, you know some of what you you write, you create, whatever it is, but you don't really know it all. That's a lie. It's in the eye of the beholder, as they say. So, mm-hmm. And you have to accept it. And uh, uh, you have to accept also that people could interpret it in so many ways. And also when you write, you know that you're uh, at least uh, 20% of the layers that you add to what you're writing, they will not be interpreted correctly. But not because people are stupid, but simply because they're personal to you. And it's, mm-hmm. it's right that they're there, they should be there. But uh, since they're personal, they're kind of a mystery. And if it's a mystery, it could be interpreted in so many different ways. And every single way is good. And uh, I love that. That, that is a very good thing, in my opinion. This is why, again, I love that this person, Chad Smith, wrote a, a fan fiction, let's say, about Sildera. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure, even if I never read it, I'm sure that it's beautiful in its way. Th- that is cool. The, the basic essence of it all is that it's cool. Uh, it makes everything more real. Unless, okay, obviously, that's always the point. It must always be respectful, though. So. It was this, uh, I remember mm-hmm. this, uh, uh, this story from Marion Zimmer Bradley, who had a lot of people writing fan fiction with her, with her characters. And uh, she got really annoyed at a certain point because she was very in favor of it. I hope that I'm remembering this story correctly because my memory is horrible. But uh, she was very in favor of it. But then someone wrote something that was, I think, kind of sexist, maybe even rapey. And obviously she was, uh, what the fuck are you doing with my characters? And that falls into the disrespectful uh, side of of fan fiction. But that's why, I mean, yes, we're leaving holes uh, for you, readers, players, etc., to fill. And we're not doing it for you as a favor. We're just doing it because we cannot fill all the holes uh, as writers. And we need you to fill them, and uh, we love you that you fill them. But uh, don't stick your dick in them, please. <laughs> that, that's a, actually a good advice. You know, uh, that, if I had a title for the podcast, it would be, you know, don't stick your dick in narrative holes. <laughs> that would be pretty nice. Exactly. The last five minutes of the podcast, I would actually like to dedicate to today, uh, it was the first day of the uh, Steam sales dedicated to Italian games. So, if you have any, you know, if you have any recommendations about any Italian game that you think people would like or to play. Uh, uh, okay, so my memory is horrible, but uh, I would say like uh, um, Milky Way Prince. That is a very peculiar game, so very personal game, uh, very narrative game, which seems very interesting from. Uh, I guys and Lorenzo Redaelli are the developers. And uh, let me think, uh, Red Rope, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't play. It's one of those games that I have to play since ages. It's from Yonder. 
it looks very cool and I have trusted friends that told me it's cool also I know the developers and they are in fact cool I if I was a decent person I would say uh, football drama uh, <laughs> which uh, actually I, I, I drew and uh, made by uh, Pietro Polsinelli and uh, his open lab but it's about football why would you play a game about football uh, I don't know don't ask me <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's a peculiar take on that. It, it, it it's uh, I, I mean, obviously, I'm gonna say it's a nice game because I'm partial. But what can I say? And uh, I'm super interested in a sketchbook about her son, but I didn't play it. And I don't know what, what would you recommend. It's your turn. Uh, I actually would add uh, the wardrobe because uh, oh yeah, I've heard that it's very very. Uh, on point as a 2D point and click uh, adventure game with uh, you know the usual 90s nostalgic vibes, mm. and you know it's one actually of the I think the few games on earth that in the Steam description actually says inspired by the great 90s classic such as Tony Tough. Ah. And for anyone that doesn't know it out there, Tony Tough is an Italian 2D point and click adventure game. And it was yeah. actually distributed in Europe, uh, I think also in the US, but you know, it's mm -hmm. not very famous, I think. So the fact that the developer name dropped it in the Steam description, you know, already has my respect. The wardrobe, yeah. Absolutely. And if you want something a bit crazy, uh, I will also recommend that Texasist, the story of Ray Bibbia. That for anyone that lives in Rome, mm -hmm. the, the, the Texasist is, you know, 10 times more funny uh, for anyone that doesn't live in Rome it's an interesting you know pretty hardcore you know shoot 'em up it's actually bullet hell kind of game that you use mm -hmm. the keyboard it's you know pretty good Ray Bibia sounds, sounds awesome already so yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah you know you could, we got some interesting games going on in the in, in no the offense to all the fantastic games that I'm not remembering but uh... Like I'm panicking right now, trying to remember the games in the Italian package, <laughs> and <laughs> I can't. Yeah, we don't mean no offense to anyone we forgot, of course. Except the couple. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, if you get some money to spare, don't forget that still there is also, you know, it's pretty interesting. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, I can't believe it. You should have said, don't forget that still there is still there. I'm so sorry. Please continue. That's a pretty good chance. By by the way, there is a when when I was saying that marketing, like I suck, but it's not just I that suck. Like we all suck, because uh, like if you think about it, we we just made a game with the worst uh, uh, title ever when it comes to oh let me find the news about this game on the internet, and then you type still there and everything. Don't do that in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to you know, to be perfectly honest. Uh, when I got it from Humble Bundle, I got it confused with Out There, which has nothing to do with it. But, you know, the, the title is similar, and I think Out There is also in space. So yes. <laughs> I thought it was connected. Yes, but actually, there's a funny story about that, because uh, uh, we, like, the title was one of the difficult parts of the game. And so at a certain point, like, we started throwing all different types of titles. And then David and I, we started... Uh, working on terms, we had a call where we were working on just terms to find something that we liked. And actually, I wrote something that contained the word still, 
and he wrote something that contained the word there. And then we were talking about it, said, oh, why? But still there is, is very cool, and, and we loved it immediately because it's actually also, it has many meanings that totally fit the game. And so that's mm-hmm. how we reached the, the idea of uh, that title. But then after, uh, I don't know, a few hours, I think, or the next day, we realized that, oh, fuck, there's a sci-fi game called Out There. And uh, maybe the title is a little too similar. So I actually wrote Miklo, which is the developer of Out There, and told him, hey, mm-hmm. uh, is it okay if we call our game still there? And he said, oh, fuck, yes, that's no problem at all. And uh, because they're very different as games. And so we went with the title and then we also by the way we also met him when we went to paris there was an exhibition where we went to find the publisher actually and that is where we found iceberg interactive and uh, miklo was there too the developers of uh, still there met the developer of out there and it was uh, funny for a, for a minute they were all out there still yeah <laughs> You, I got it. You, you see, I got it in the end. I applaud you. You have no idea how many horrible word jokes we made about that title. By the word. <laughs> I can imagine, yes. So, um, I think we come to the end of our uh, podcast. And I have to thank Daniele for uh, our time with us. I have to thank you for your time. And thank God that we finished it. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, I don't want to thank God. I will just thank you. And, uh, well, I hope that we can uh, maybe do this another time soon. And I hope to see, of course, some some more of your work out there. Oh, my God, you're getting so <laughs> good at it. Uh, so, yes, high five. Mm-hmm.